Good evening, and it's uh, wonderful to see. I believe I'm here after six years. Uh, you may remember, but uh, some of you, I see some familiar faces, but they're new faces. Even I'm seeing Brother uh, Andrew and his family first time here. Very, very, very glad to meet and see you here. Let us turn uh, to God's Word this evening. Um, I'm using slightly different version. Now, don't worry, I'm not using a Urdu Bible. And, uh, and we don't need to, uh, we don't have an issue with all the, those different translations. We have just one there. But I'm using NASB, slightly different than yours. But uh, let us uh, pay close attention to God's unchanging and life-changing word. Hosea chapter 6, we will be reading first three verses. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know, let us pass, press on to know, know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. Bible is filled with Invitations or callings. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, where God invites Noah's family into the ark for salvation. And the last one, obviously, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20. In that, ver- that verse, John issues an invitation or prayerful invitation prayerful call, I would say. He called and he asked the Lord, his Lord and our Lord, to return quickly. Between these two invitations, there are so many other invitations and callings. When God calls his people, but in our text, the prophet Hosea calls out to the people of Israel, God's own people. And I believe it was a call both for personal and national revival. Personal and national revival. Because Israel had forsaken the way of the Lord and they had turned away from him to worship idols and the false god of Canaanites. This invitation is a call for them to repent of their sins and to turn their hearts back to their true and living God who created them, who loved them, and who saved them. While these verses, we read the text, they were written many, many years, over 200, 2,500 years ago, but I believe They still have the message that 
you and I need to listen today. Through this message, speaks to our need today, all over the world, but especially the need of Western world. Just like ancient Israel, America needs a revival. Peoples of this country have differed far away from its religious roots. This country has given itself over to sin and evil of every description. The horror of abortion, the abomination of sodomite marriage, and the extensive rise in sin. People are miles away, and God, they need to turn to God and find a place of repentance and redemption. But dear God's people, before there will ever be a national revival, there must be a revival within the churches of America. And before ever there will be a revival in the churches, there should be a revival in the hearts of God's people, individual believers. Today's passage is a call for the people of God to humble themselves before God to seek his face for, the for, for, forgi for forgiveness, restoration, and revival. And repentance and contrition is a word we do not hear very often these days. At the same time, when we look at the Bible, repentance is a state of heart that God honors. Let's look at Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and, and saves the crushed in spirit. And again, uh, Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I think this message is one that you need to hear today. We are living in a time when there is a very little contrition and sorrow over sin. People, even church people, can live any old way of life and never feel any remorse over the, over, over the rebellion. Therefore, I want to show you two ways how God reaches out to those who are far away from him. And those are my basic points this morning. I had three, but I combined them uh, this evening. So they are a need for repentance based on verse 1, first part. And the second is a source of restoration or revival. Let me read with the verse 1 again. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. The people of Israel had every reason to serve, God, serve and honor their Lord, but for no reason they abandoned him and turned to follow other gods. They were reckless and wild, wicked people. They had no discipline in their lives. The phrase, let us return in our text, implies that, the, that a closer relationship than the current relationship once existed. There had been a time when they had followed his law. 
sought his face and honored him above everything. But now, right now, they are far away from him. They have followed their they have allowed their relationship to get cold, grow cold. Their love for him is not as strong as it used to be. They had become wayward and wicked people. Their crunch spiritual condition, what I want to do to go through the immediate context and look for their what was their real current spiritual condition. And I believe in chapter six and seven, and if we look at the five, I'm not going through all over, but again we'll focus on immediate context to show and find that their spiritual condition is clearly laid out in Hosea chapter six and seven. So there are, it would be simple and interesting, uh, there are six different metaphors for their current spiritual condition that illustrate how critically they need to repent. So I'm going to, we are going through six um, different metaphors, and we will go quickly. Um, it's not going to be till 10 o'clock tonight, but uh, quickly. Let's just look at that, the first metaphor for their spiritual condition. That is, that is in chapter 6, verse 4, just next verse from our text. The part B, let me read the whole verse. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning dew or morning cloud. Some translations say morning dew, morning cloud. So here we see the metaphor for morning cloud or morning dew. What does it mean? Their loyalty and love to God was like that early morning dew. I see every morning in uh, my backyard, my office, uh, when I open the curtain and uh, my office door opens to the backyard and I see millions of uh, uh, sparkling and uh, the, uh, the, the dew sparkles like jewels on the grass. There are a lot. They sparkle like, like millions of jewels under the gleam of the sun. But do you know, when I come back, drop my children, come back, have my uh, breakfast, and I look at again, they're not as many as I saw early in the morning. Just for a sh- short time, and then at around 9 o'clock, 9.30, they're all gone. So they are just for very, very for short time. Soon they burns away. That's what God is saying, that the devotion of God's people was shallow and temporary, like morning dew. They look beautiful, they are nice, they are a lot, but soon they burns away. Their devotion to God was very shallow and temporary. They talk about getting right with the God, but their repentance and devotion was short-lived. That was their spiritual condition. I would say, how about you or how about us? The second metaphor, let's go quickly because we have to go through all of them. I don't want to miss uh, them. I, or I can add another one to there. But uh, let's look at the second metaphor for their spiritual condition. That is found in chapter 7, verse 7. Chapter 7. Just, you have to turn next page, on my Bible is next page, just verse 7. What is that? 
all of them, that means all of God's people, are hot like an oven. The word here in Hebrew is tanur, which is tanur, which is whenever I go there in Pakistan, Brother Andrew knows that, I love that. We love hot, fresh naans made in a, a clay, what's a clay oven or mud, a clay oven, something like that. We have a, a modern uh, oven here, but uh, here, what God is saying, that their hearts, they all are like, they all, all of them are like hot, like an oven, and they consume their rulers and all their kings and fallen. So the first part is saying they're all like tanur. I do remember in my house, when my mom was there, they, we had a tanur, or we have a, that clay oven in my house, and every morning or even lunchtime or evening, whenever she needs to make a, those uh, naan or roti or chapati, we call flatbread, she starts burning and she started, and then it gets really red. And then she starts uh, making bread there. So what God is saying, like an oven heated to its maximum temperature during the night so that it would be ready for the baker in the morning, Israel burned with passion for sin like a hot oven. And three words in the same chapter confirms or indicate the context and confirm their passion for sin. Look at the verse chapter three, uh, chapter seven, verse three. What word do you see there? Wickedness. Look at chapter uh, verse four. You will see the word adulterers. Look at verse five, and you will see wine. So these three words. Immediate, in an immediate, immediate context, confirm their passion for sin. They are like a heated oven. They should have had a passion for the things of God, but they loved their sin for more than they loved him. Let me ask again, how about us? How about us? Let's go on third because we have to cover all of them. Third metaphor is found in chapter 7 and verse 8. Just next word. It's a very similar metaphor. In verse 8, Ephraim mixes himself with the nations. That's very interesting and a very interesting metaphor there. Ephraim has become a cake not turned. It's very interesting. Um, my wife makes... Uh, flat bread at home, and Andrew knows much better than any of you, probably. So what I do, I help. When she does that, there's a small flat pan, and we, she puts on that, and my job is, whenever I'm available, to turn it constantly. Otherwise, do you know what will happen? It will burn on the one side, and it will raw on the other side. So Israel is called half-baked cake. Even my wife and my children always uh, convince me to uh, eat pancakes. No offense to anybody, but uh, I don't eat pancakes because they are not crispy. 
I like all of his Griffith st stuff. Yeah, here, here is exactly what I see at home here in Cancer or whenever I go in Pakistan. How the people and the chapati and the, that flatbread is made. You keep turning it. And I do at home almost every week. Not every day, but every week. Flatbread or roti or chapati or baked bread, not turned. We have no modern technology, you will say, that we don't turn. We just put in the oven and we don't need to turn. But in those days, in, in that context, and still, if you want to make the, the bread like Israeli eat, like, like Pakistani people eat, you have to turn it. A roti or chapati not turned would burn on the one side and be raw on the other side. What God is saying here about people. I heard there was water, but it's hidden. Like, a, yeah, Moses had to find that water. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so, Israel, what God is saying to Israel, his own people. Israel was burned on her earthly side through sin and compromise with the enemies of God or their, their enemies, yet, on, yet toward the Lord they were cold and uncooked. They were raw. They were raw. They were guilty of compromise for their commitment to other nations, not to God. That's why God is saying Ephraim has become a cake not turned. It's burned from, uh, he's burned from earthly side. Let me ask you again, all of us, how about us? Because I have to go through all of four, five, four, six of them. Let's go on. But before we, I go on other side, I would remind us, Luke 10, verse 24, God wants our whole being to be dedicated to God, not only one side, not only just Sunday or not only just one, uh, one day in a week. He wants our whole being to be dedicated to him. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. But God's people were not like that. That's why Jesus reminded them the next metaphor for their spiritual condition, God's people's spiritual condition, is found in next two verses in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10. Strangers devour his strength, yet he does not know it. Let me stop just there. I think that's enough. That's very clear. What God is saying Israel is described as a man whose strength has gone out and he is unaware of it. That means Israel has lost its power with the Lord and Israel is unaware of it. Like Samson, they don't mind that the Lord was departed from them. And they don't know, and they don't care. They are not aware of that. They don't mind. Let me ask again, how about us? 
Let me go to the next metaphor quickly. The fifth metaphor is found in verse 11. Verse 11 of the spiritual condition of God's people. Ephraim has become like a silly dove without sense. Here, a little bit changing, different metaphor, but uh, interesting metaphor as well. Interesting metaphor as well. Israel is like what? Who? Silly dove. Through the figure, though the figures changes here, from culinary to a different to uh, birds or hunting. But the message is same. Message remains the same. We can see in this metaphor Ephraim's folly in relying on the international relationship to provide security and stability. Do you see that there? We want to invade the whole world. We want to have that. I see everywhere. What America is doing, it's good. I, 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 I think we, we have to seek our interest. But we are more worried about international relations there, which is maybe important. But let me share here uh, one illustration. When God is saying Israel is like silly dove, what he's saying, a convict was released from prison after serving seven years of fraud. Upon his uh, release, he immediately acquired somebody's credit cards and went on spending spree that took him across the country or world in a first-class hotels, restaurants, and private planes. He was caught and brought to trial back again. In a quote, he confessed what he has done, and he requested the judge to pardon him on the grounds that now he has learned his lesson. Do you think the judge was impressed by his confession? He said, I will never do it anything like that. Please forgive me or release me. And he requested the judge to pardon him on the grounds I have asked. But do you know what the judge said to him? Judge was not very impressed by his um, uh, confession, by his plea. Was very, his plea was very unimpressed. And judge said to him, I have also learned that the courtroom confession lasts only until the criminal gets to the door. Then he put him, committed him, that man, to prison again. God's people were like that. They were confessing like courtroom confession. They were begging him. They were asking forgiveness, but they were like silly dove. They were doing the things again and again and again. Instead of looking to the Lord and dressing, trusting him, they flew to Egypt and Syria for their help. They disobeyed God by making covenant with heathen nations like a silly dove. Again, I would ask, how about us? The last metaphor, you must be happy, 
the last six metaphor we can find more, but I will stop there and I have to go to the next point. And uh, yeah, the sixth metaphor is found in uh, Hosea chapter 7, verse 16. That's also very interesting. Chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 7, verse 16. They turn, but not upward. They are like a deceitful bow. Right? It's bow. They are like what? It's another metaphor for their spiritual condition, their conditions. That means they cannot be trusted to serve the Lord and remain faithful to him. They had been given his law. They had received God's training and blessing. They should have, have been, have been, uh, they should have been walking with him, able to walk with the Lord in holiness. Yet, they were an indecisive people like a deceitful bull. Cannot be trusted. Cannot hit the target of righteousness. Let me ask you again, the last one. How about us? Dear God's people, this was the state of Israel, condition, spiritual condition of Israel, God's people. As we look at them, let us not to fail look at ourselves. Paul, in Ephesians, this morning I preached from that text. It's uh, interesting. I, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He clearly lays out our condition before uh, we were in Christ. He said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You think we were better than Israel? I could find more metaphors for us from the New Testament maybe. We were not different. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to remember this. How many in this very room this morning, or this evening, can remember a day when you were closer to the Lord than you are today, right now, this evening? Can you remember a day when the things of God were more precious to you than they are right now? Can you remember a time when his house, his word, and his business and time spent with him thrilled your soul for more than they do right now? We saw those six metaphors, descriptive metaphors, God used to describe the spiritual condition and state of Israel. Can you see any parallels within your own life? Is your devotion to God too shallow? Do you have a greater passion for the sin than you do the things of God? Or have you compromised with the world? Have you lost your power with the Lord like Samson? Are you like a silly dove looking for the, uh, the help uh, in every uh, source but the Lord? Or are you like a deceitful bow, uh, bow 
that cannot be trusted to hit the target of righteousness and faithful living. If you find yourself in that state today, you, know, you need to know that you are not at the right place. Like the people in uh, Church of Ephesus, you have left your first love in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. You might be going, or we might be going through the motions, but our heart is not inflamed with the passionate love for the Lord Jesus Christ and the things of God. And if you have allowed your soul to drift away from God, and this is his call to you to come back to him and repent because he alone is the source of righteousness. And that leads to our next point, a source of restoration, verses 1 and 2. I will read again, 1, 2, 3. Again, let me read 2 and 3 again. He will revive us, chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. He will revive us after two days, and he will raise us up on the third day, that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the, like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. A reason, the reason Israel is entrusted to return to the Lord. Let us return. Why they are entrusted to return, I think. The reason is found in two short words found in verse, verse 1. And what are those two words in verse 1? They are two short words, torn and smitten. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. Why they are thinking about to return, that reason is found in those two words. Those two words explain what Israel has been going through at the hands of God, which is clear from the immediate context again. Chapter 4 and 5, if you look, especially chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, that indicate, uh, uh, those verses indicate that a sin has become a way of life for the people of God. And if you read next, uh, chapter 4, verses 3 through 10, they tell us that God will judge Israel for their sin against him. He will bring harsh chastisement upon them because they have refused to walk his ways, in his ways. And in Hosea chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, describe that the Lord, it's very, again, very, uh, very interesting um, description. God is like a beast, lion. Verse five, chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 describe the Lord as a lion that comes upon this disobedient people to tear them and punish them for what they have done. Let me read just verse 15, uh, 14 of chapter 5. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a young lion to house of Judah. I, even I, will tear to pieces and go away. 
I will carry away and there will be none to deliver. And then in verse 15, after inflicting judgment, the Lord will withdraw his presence, I believe, for a purpose. For a special purpose to wait for them to seek his face. And it is, it is clear from these verses that God's people are going to pay a terrible price for their sinfulness. The Lord brought harsh chastisement upon them, God's people, for their disobedience, and we can see the painful effects of that chastisement. If you look at the history of the church, Old Testament church, and many individuals in the Bible, for example, just consider David. His sin with Bathsheba brought the chastisement of God into David's life and the family for many, many years. And we need to understand that that truth, that no one can ever get away with sin. The Lord made himself to be like a cruel wild beast to his people, and Israel suffered God's judgment for his sin, uh, her sin. And dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we deserved the same punishment. New Testament and Old Testament is very clear. We deserved the same judgment. We were the same people. That dreadful judgment to be torn and smitten like Israel. Just remember, but thank God. However, in his rich grace and mercy, instead of us, God pour his wrath and judgment on his only son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of Christ was the same words, if you look at Isaiah chapter 53, you will find the same word found in Hosea chapter 6 verse 1, torn and smitten. Who was smitten, torn and smitten there? Not us. Instead of us, Christ was torn and smitten at the cross of Calvary. We can see that very similar language in Hosea chapter three, chapter uh, Hosea, uh, Isaiah chapter fifty-three, uh, verses four and five. Let me read those. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Do you see that very similar language there? But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. And Peter in his first letter points out to the similar, same amazing truth in this way. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Dear God's people, in this life, we may find God to be like, for a time being, God to be like a wild beast, like lion, which is described here, Yet his proper office is to heal and to bind the wounds. That's why here we see in verse 2, he, he had, uh, verse, uh, chapter, uh, verse 1, 
for he has torn us, but who is going to heal us? He will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. That is his proper office to <coughs> excuse me, heal and to bind the wounds of his people. Therefore, there's no reason why we should shun his presence today. Why? We have, so, we have seen that. We saw that the design of the prophets in the, today's text is to show us that no chastisement is so severe that it ought to break down our spirits, but to give us a hope in Christ and stir us up ourselves to repentance and ask his help. And God promised that in Second Chronicles chapter seven verse fourteen. Second Chronicles chapter seven verse fourteen. If my people, who have who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wickedness, what is the promise there? Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. Not only that, and heal their land as well. If we would return to him, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God would minister to us personally. That is his proper office. He would meet our needs quickly, and he would restore us to the place of help and blessing. And providentially, when you look at the end of the book, providentially, Lord's final promise is found at the very end of the book, chapter 14. Chapter 14. Hosea's book that he will never abandon his people. That's providence. Let me read chapter 14, verse 1, 2, and 4. Chapter 14, verse 1, 2, and 4. Here, what God is saying. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have, you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away our guilt, accept that which is good, and we will offer the fruits of our lip. And I will heal their disloyalty. We saw that uh, their disloyalty in those six metaphors, and God is saying, I will heal that. Even though you can, there might be much, many more metaphors for their disloyalty there. Even they are more than hundreds. No problem. I will heal that. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. That's what we learn in the New Testament, in Paul's epistles and other places, how God, God so loved freely, and he has given his own son. I will heal their disloyalty. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them how that is turned, and we learned that. That's only because of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So this evening I would ask you first, confess your sin. Secondly, appeal to God on the basis of his son's finished work on the cross of Calvary. Because Christ has fully atoned for his, uh, uh, his people. I was trying many, many years ago, like 25 years ago now. Like I tried my best to heal and to purchase the salvation through uh, reading, uh, uh, praying rosary, and lots of other things in the Roman Catholic Church. But this is the promise of God. Christ has paid fully, atoned fully for his people. That's what, in 2001, March, I learned in the seminary under the pastor, under my professor, Dr. Young. Christ has paid for me. I don't need to pay in full and the debt of sin, which people owe, which I owed, and try my best. You may think about joining. I, he didn't wait until I joined RPCN in 2011. He paid. Christ has obtained the eternal salvation of his people, myself. Let me conclude with the, this promise found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Christ has wrought the forgiveness for me, and here is the promise. And God always fulfills his promise. If we say that we have no sin, we deserve, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is, he who is faithful and just will forgive us sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we have sinned against you as your people in our thoughts and in our deeds, in the wrong we have done and the good we have not done. We have sinned in ignorance as I do remember, I did myself many, many years, and I still do that. We have sinned in ignorance and we have sinned in weakness. We have sinned in our own deliberate faults. Lord, now we repent. We repent truly for what you have done in your Son and through your Son. Now, O oh Lord, we return to you. You are our only hope. Lord, forgive us for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and renew our lives to the glory of your Son. In Christ's glorious name I ask. Amen. Amen.